Well, it's good to see everybody out this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're always happy to have you with us, and we thankful that we are here to be able to worship God. It's always our desire that what we do is pleasing in His sight, and if you have questions, we're more than happy to answer any of those questions that you might have after the services are over. Last Sunday, we talked about a very important subject because every single one of us that's in this room is going to deal with it at some point in our lives, and that is death. When we talked about death last week, we talked about some of the things that happen when one dies on this side where we mourn and we weep and we make arrangements and we do all of those kinds of things. But then we looked at the rich man and Lazarus and we saw what takes place on the other side after we die. And we realize that we're going to have one destiny or the other. That we're going to be in comfort or we're going to be in pain. We're going to have that home in heaven or we're going to have that home in hell. And so we want to realize, we need to realize the importance of being prepared. And this morning I, w- I wanted to talk about Balaam. Because I think Balaam represents what a lot of us are really like. Because we know what to say. We always say the right things. But the question is, are we living it in our lives? Balaam was an individual who always said the right things. He always said what God told him to say. The king of Moab, Balak, wanted Balaam to curse Israel. He wanted God to curse Israel. And so on multiple occasions, he asked Balaam to do or talk to God to get Israel cursed. And in every situation, every time Balaam went to God, God blessed his people even more. Like I said, Balaam always said what God told him to say, which made the king upset. I failed to mention that the king had offered Balaam a reward if he would get God to offer or make a curse on Israel. God did not do so. Balaam figured out his own way to get the children of Israel cursed. We'll talk about that later. But my point is this is that sometimes as Christians, we want to have the best of both worlds. We want to look forward to heaven, but we also want to enjoy life here on this earth and do some of the things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. And so I think that Balaam represents a lot of people in this life, whether we like to admit it or not. Because like I said, we know all the right things to say. But we know in our heart that we're not really doing what we're supposed to be doing. And when you look at the prayer that Balaam prayed, I think that we can see that it was a very good prayer. As I said, he always said, seemed to say the right things. And we can see that it was a realistic prayer because he recognized that death was going to come. And it's important that you and I realize that someday we're going to pass from this life. We may not know when, know exactly when, but we know that it's coming, that it's out there on the horizon somewhere, and some are closer than others. But we should never take any day of our lives for granted that we're always going to have another day. Every day may be our last day. 
And that's what we need to understand. And I think that Balaam realized that death was a realistic event. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8 it says, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to return the Spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. What's the wise man saying here? He is telling us that we have no control over I can't keep my spirit in my body any longer than it is with that appointment that has been made for me, according to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. There's nothing that I can do to keep it here. Oh, you know, we know people go on life support and we think that that extends their life. But the Scripture here plainly tells us that God is in control. That God's the one that's in control of when we're going to, how long we're going to stay here on this earth and when we're going to exit. It's totally up to God. And Balaam realized that. We also see that it was an informed prayer because we all know that death is coming. As I mentioned in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And so when we die, as we've seen last week with the rich man and Lazarus, on the other side is a judgment and one is in paradise and one is in hell. And so we need to understand that now's the time to be prepared. Now's the time to make preparations for that day. And many times people will say, well, I want to hold out as long as I can. I want to live in the world and I want to live at the end. At the end, I want to change. You know how many people have said that and never changed? Because you know what? We always think we're going to have one more day. One more opportunity. And that's just not always the case. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. There we see a picture of a judgment scene where some were prepared and some were unprepared. Those that were unprepared, those that had not obeyed the gospel, were in a lost condition. And they were cast into outer darkness. In John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which that all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. My friend, what we need to understand is that everybody's going to come forth out of the grave, whether you've done, lived a good life or whether you've lived a wicked life. Don't think that because you have not obeyed the gospel that you're going to escape the judgment of God. Don't think that when they put you in that grave that that soul is going to sleep and it's going to sleep forever. That it's not ever going to come forth out of the grave. Jesus says we're all coming out of the grave. And so we need to be prepared for that day. Balaam has a good talk here. He's got a good prayer. Because it expresses the most important concern that a person can have in this life. That there's nothing more important than dying right. That is very important. And when I say dying right, I'm not talking about, you know, some gunfight or, you know, something like that. I'm talking about being prepared. Ready to meet God. In John chapter 8, verses 21, it says. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. In verse 24 of that same chapter, he says, I said therefore unto you, 
that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. What does it mean if you believe that He's the one? If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then you're going to do what He's told you to do in Scripture in order to prepare for that day. And if you're not a Christian, what He tells us that we need to do is we need to obey the Gospel. Because He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach that Gospel. And we see that in the book of Acts, the history of the church, we can see that that Gospel was preached on every occasion. And when that Gospel was preached, there were people that obeyed the Gospel. Now what does that mean that they obeyed the Gospel? Well, Jesus goes on to say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And on the day of Pentecost, we see exactly what they did in order to be prepared. They realized that they had crucified Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. About 3,000 souls on that occasion heard that word and obeyed that word by being baptized into Christ. They had to repent of their sin, turn away from that sin. Just as Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. And so if you're not a Christian, you have to turn away from that sinful life. And you may say, well, I, I'm not really that bad. I don't commit a lot of sins, and that's good. You have less to repent of. But what it really means is, you're going to stop following your own path, and you're going to turn and follow Christ. You're going to do what He's told you to do. Why? Because if you follow Him, He's going to lead you to heaven. That's where I want to go. I hope that that's where you want to go. Now I know some people don't want to hear that message. They don't want to hear what the Bible says. They want to feel good, in their, feel good themselves. Now, I think I'm doing what's right. No matter what you think, what matters is what the Bible says. And if you want to be prepared for that day, and you need to do what the Bible says. And Jesus says, believe. We also see where He tells us to confess in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. If we'll confess Him before men, He'll confess us before His Father which is in heaven. We see the Ethiopian eunuch do that in Acts chapter 8 where he made that great confession. And so we hear that word, we believe that word, we repent of our sins, we confess His name, and we're buried with Him in baptism. Why is baptism important? It represents that gospel message. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. We go down a sinner, we come up out of that water a Christian. Now if you believe that the Messiah is Jesus Christ and you believe what Jesus Christ says, then you're going to obey His will if you want to be prepared on that day. Or you can remain stubborn. You're going to do what you want to do. That's what Balaam did. He did what he wanted to do. And when we do what we want to do, don't be surprised when you're lost. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? When we look at this, the case of Balaam, he wanted that reward that Balak offered. <clears throat> He wanted to have the best of both worlds. He wanted to have that reward, but he also told us what God's Word said. There's a lot of people like that. They want to go to heaven. 
they want all the material things in this life that gets in the way sometimes of being faithful to God. If you've gained the entire world, I don't know how much the world's worth, but it's certainly worth more than all of us in this room have. But Jesus said, if you gain that whole world and lose your soul, what have you prospered? And so we can see that that prayer was good. He prayed a good prayer. But that prayer was strange because Balaam had a divided loyalty. He had the wish for heaven, but he didn't have the will for heaven. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Think about that. You may wish to go to heaven, and I know a lot of people that wish to go to heaven. In fact, if you look at surveys, the majority of people in America believe that they're going to heaven when they die. There's a very small fraction that believe that they're going to hell. And do you think that that majority is living according to what the Bible says? I would highly doubt that. But that's where everybody wants to go. I've been to the funeral homes of a lot of people, some members of the church, some not members of the church, and everybody is going to heaven, or so they think. And the reality is it's just not true. It's not enough to wish for. You have to have the will. The willpower to live according to God's plan. You have to hear what He says and then work and, and do those things that He tells us to do. As James says, faith without works is dead. So you can have faith. But James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. So what is your works showing about your life? Do you trust God? Are you following Him? Do you believe what Jesus said? Or are you going to go your own way and say, I just think the Lord's going to accept that. He'll be okay with it. He's not going to have a problem. You know, if the Lord has told us not to do something and you're doing it, I think He's going to have a problem with it. And I think you're going to have a problem with it in the day of judgment if you don't change. We can also see that He had a desire but he didn't have the determination. Now what's the difference in a wish and a desire? Well, a wish is kind of hope. You know, a lot of people hope to go to heaven. But a desire is a, 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 is a craving. How many of us crave or have that, that strong desire to go to heaven? Because you see, there's a difference in just hoping to go there and really having the true desire to go there. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When you look at this young man who came to Jesus, it sounds like he lived a good life. It sounds like he had done a lot of good things. And it looks like he was very successful in the things that he had accumulated, the things that he had, his possessions. But do you notice in that story, that true event, do you notice something about that young man? He realized there was still something missing. And you know what? That's, that tells a lot about him. And it'll tell a lot about us. Because on the outside, everything may look good, but on the inside, many times we know we lack one thing. We know that there's something that we need to let go of. We know that there's something that we need to stop doing. We know that there's something that we need to start doing. We know that there's something wrong and that we need to make a change. This young man went to the right place. He went to Jesus and Jesus told him what he needed to do. He lacked one thing. That one thing was a big thing in his life. Now maybe to you and I, that may not seem like a big deal. Sell what you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. What if that was what Jesus tells us? To go sell what we have, give it to the poor and come follow Him. I asked earlier this year, are you following Jesus? Your Jesus? Or are you following the real Jesus? Because there's a difference. Because there's a lot of people that say that they're following Jesus when in fact they're not going in the direction He's going. They're not doing what He's telling them to do. And this young, rich young ruler, he realized that he lacked one thing. And when Jesus told him what he needed to do, he went away sorrowful. Have you exchanged anything for your soul? Is there one thing in your life that you need to change? And you need to change it. Balaam wanted to be a saint in heaven. But he didn't want to live like a saint here on this earth. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, <clears throat> Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, save the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Blessed are they which die in the Lord. How do I get into the Lord? 
baptized into Christ. I'm baptized into Him. That's how I get into Christ. And outside of Christ, we find there's no place for salvation according to the Scripture. And so we need to get into Christ. If you want your life at the end to be considered a blessing. We're going to rest from our labors. What does that tell us? For those that want to say you don't have to work to do any, you don't have to do anything, guess what? I'm going to rest from my labors. What's labors? That sounds like work. There's things that God expects you and I to do. Responsibilities that He's given us as Christians. In Psalm chapter 116 and verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the depth of His saints. You want to be a saint in heaven? You need to live like a saint here on this earth. He prayed for the reward of the righteous. But he loved the wages of unrighteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. In that particular case, Peter's talking about false teachers who basically would sell their soul in order to have something. Possession or money or whatever. And he compares them to Balaam. As I said, Balaam said what God said, but then he wanted that reward that Balak offered. He wanted the wages of unrighteousness. How many of us have sacrificed our soul? You see, once we get into Christ, once we're baptized into Christ, we need to be faithful. Because in Revelations it tells us that we're going if we overcome, we have that promise of a crown of life. And so we need to be striving when we live while we're living here on this earth, after we become a Christian, to live that faithful life. If we want heaven as our home. We can see that he prayed for riches of heaven, but he had his eyes on those riches of the world. In Jude chapter 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and have ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. You see, in the New Testament, Balaam is always compared in a bad way. He's shown that he wanted something worldly as opposed to what God had to offer. In Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the new first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there were no more sea. When we start to read that, we see a picture of what is out there for us somewhere that God has prepared for us. Jesus said that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. God has this place prepared for us. Now listen to the description. And verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
Now, I think most of us that are husbands realize that day. Now, I don't know if you got married in a courthouse or if you got married in a church building, where it was, in your backyard, whatever. But the one thing that you remember is that your, your bride on that day. And you may have been in a building that was packed with people and you saw her walking down that aisle. You saw no one else. You focused right on her. Now you can tell me if I'm wrong when you leave today. But you remember that day too. And I don't care if it's been 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, you still remember that day. And that's the picture that we see of heaven. And I think that that's there for a purpose. Because we're focused on what God has prepared for us. That's the picture. Don't ever lose sight of that. But then he goes on in verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. God's going to be there. Isn't that amazing? To know that we will spend eternity, if we're faithful to God, with Him. We'll be in His presence. But then I like verse 4 really well. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You can read on, you can read other places, and you can see the beauty that's used to describe heaven. And people will debate whether it's all figurative language where, you know, are the streets really gold and are all these precious jewels really represented? To me, that doesn't matter. What matters to me is if it takes that, that kind of terminology to describe heaven so that I can kind of have a visual picture, then it must be a place that I want to go to. I've never been to a place where the streets were gold or the gates were a pearl. But I would love to go to a place where there's not going to be any more tears or separation or pain, heartache, because all those things are done away with. No separation like here. You see, we're kind of spoiled because we can jump on a plane and be all over the world in just a matter of hours. But imagine without those planes. They didn't have that back in those days. They were separated by water, great, you know, Mediterranean or whatever. It took days to get to wherever they wanted to go. Verse 4 tells me that's a place I want to go. You can skip the bride part, even though that's very important. But just knowing that God's going to wipe away tears. And you say, well, I thought there were no tears in heaven. I don't believe there will be tears in heaven. But I believe that there will be tears on both sides on the day of judgment. Because people say, well, how can I be happy in heaven if I know a loved one's there? When God wipes away those tears... All that's going to matter is that you're with Him. And as the, the preacher I heard say one time, 
If there's not hiking and fishing and all that stuff, then I don't want to go. Guess what? I probably won't go. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And how close we are to Him. Do we have that desire to go to heaven? It's not enough just to wish for it. We've got to want to go there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is that passage true? Look at that passage of Scripture and then compare it to that rich man that we talked about just earlier who lacked one thing was told to go sell his possession. Where do you think his treasures were? Where do you think his heart was? Where's your heart? He prayed for what God could give him. But he wanted what Balak offered more. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Balak was trying to have the best of both worlds. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Wouldn't you think that that would be impressive to know that God spoke to you? And could, you could tell others the message that God sent? But that wasn't enough for Balaam. It wasn't enough to just be a messenger of God. He wanted the riches that the world offered. We can see that he prayed that in death that he would be numbered with the righteous. But in life, he was willing to be numbered with the wicked. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Don't go out and get hooked up with somebody that's going to lead you astray. You say, well, I'm going to change them. Yeah, sometimes you, you may change them. I venture to say that most of the time they change you. Look at us. How many of us, our values have changed over the years? And it's basically from watching television or listening to the radio or whatever it may be. We accept things now that we would have never accepted just a few years ago. We wouldn't invite someone into our home that say some of the things that you hear on TV or do some of the things that... You see on TV, but yet yes, we got it in our, on our TV. We watch it. We listen. John chapter 18 and verse 18. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made fires of coal, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Peter was outside where Jesus was on trial. And he stood there in that group. 
And when he was questioned, if he was a follower of Christ, he denied Jesus. He denied Jesus multiple times because he was with the wrong people. Do you think that if all of those people were, that were there were followers of Christ, that he would have been ashamed to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know him. He's, he's my friend. How many times have we been with people and we don't even want them to know that we're a Christian? Or we don't tell them that we're a Christian? Or if something comes up where you have an opportunity, you kind of shy back. You don't want to tell them. Peter stood with the wrong crowd. You see the influence that that crowd had. Look at what we have in this life that influences us. And finally, Balaam prayed for himself to be saved, but he caused others to be lost. Have your Bible turn over to Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31, it says. Behold, verse 16, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit treasure or trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Remember what I said earlier that Balaam only said what God told him to do, say. And in every case when he approached God, God blessed Israel. That was the message that he had to give to Balak. Balaam figured out that God was not going to curse Israel. But he came up with a plan that if you could get the children of Israel to violate God's command, then God would curse them because they were doing something that God hated. And that was Balaam's idea. Get the children of Israel to commit fornication and to do things that they should not do, and then God would curse them. So Balaam led many people into sin. How many of us want to go to heaven? But the life we're living isn't helping people get there. How many of us want to go to heaven, but we don't want to confront someone and tell them what they're doing is wrong? How many of us are being a poor example that we should be? You back up into the first part of chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. We can ask the question there and answer it. How did Balaam die? Beginning at verse 31, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel and of the Midianites. Afterwards shalt thou gather unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves with, for, unto war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand there, uh, throughout, all the tribes of Israel shall ye send to war. 
So there was delivered out of the thousands of Israel a thousand of every tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them into war, a thousand of, of every tribe, them and Phineas, the, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the war, and the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian, besides the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi, and Rechem, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, five kings of, the Midian, of Midian, Balaam also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. How did Balaam die? Did he die with the righteous? Did he die on Moses' side? Did he die doing what the Lord wanted him to do? No. And as a result of leading about 24,000 people to their death because they violated God and they were destroyed on that day, he died along with those that were unfaithful to our Lord. Friend, let me remind us all that you can't live wrong and die right. You're not going to live a life of sin. You're not going to do what you want to do and ignore what God's told us to do. And then when you die, get on the other side and the Lord's going to say, oh, that's okay, great, come on in. We have to do what's right. And we can't ignore Christ now. And then find Him then. As we mentioned last week, there are some that believe that when you die and you get on the other side, that it's a place where you can have a second chance. There is no second chance. When you die, your destiny is sealed. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to die as a Christian? And if you want to die as a Christian, then it's important that you live as a Christian. How many of us are striving to do that? Don't be like Balaam. Try to have your foot in both parts of the world, you know, in the, in, in, in a, on this earth, doing the things that the world does, and then in the church doing what the Lord wants us to do. It doesn't work. You may say all the right things, but what are you doing? This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can be baptized into Christ. If you'd like to study, we're here to help in any way that we can. We'd sit down. I'll sit down with you and study with you anytime. But that's what we need to do. We need to be right with God if we want to die right. So this morning, if you need to respond, please come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.